Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, we're going to take a little trip with me down misery lane just a bit, okay? Uh, and this is because there was some news that Sean McVay met, made when he talked about Raheem Morris and the fact that he's not a head coach. And, of course, I covered Raheem Morris. He was 32 years old when he got the head coaching job, um, you know, back in you know, following the 08 season. And we know that the NFL has got – a pretty crappy track record right now with uh, with minority coaches, to say the very least. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Raheem Morris, and here's what what precipitated this. Here's what Sean McVay said on Tuesday when he addressed the fact that Raheem Morris continues to not have a head coaching job. He said, it's a reflection of how far we have to go because he, meaning Ram Morris, is one of the best coaches in the world, and the fact that he isn't a head coach is a crime. Those are some strong, strong words um, from a guy that knows Raheem Morris as well as anybody that coached together, of course, uh, under uh, then Mike Shanahan with the Washington football team. And they've been friends for a long time. Obviously, he went out to L.A. last year to be the defensive coordinator. And they won the Super Bowl. And in no small part, because Sean McVay is happy to tell you uh, that the job that Raheem Morris did on Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals is, is a large part of why they won. Uh, and they took over that game, you know, when it was down the stretch in the fourth quarter defensively. So it, it, I put something out there sort of on Twitter uh, Wednesday morning, and it got kind of a lot of reaction. And, and I just I want to do my Raheem Morris sort of retrospective about what really happened. And, and, and listen, he's not – blameless uh no coach is i mean your, your record is what your record is i mean i think that i think bill parcell said it you know you don't have to tell people who you are if you're in the nfl long enough your record will tell you who they are and clearly he did not have a a great you know three years here um but let's go back in time a little bit because i i think i think people miss a lot about what happened during that era and, and frankly a lot of people probably weren't around then um, but Raheem Morris, first of all, was 32 years old. You remember this, Steve. John Gruden had signed a three-year deal with the Bucks. Um, I think he was in the second year or the first year of that three-year deal, um, a three-year extension, excuse me. I think that made it five years on his deal, but it was a three-year extension. And he was in the first year of that in 08 when the Bucks were 9-3, and three, and they they tanked after that. I mean, they they – you know, sort of hit his hit his skid. They lost their last four games. They win any of those four games. One of those four games there in the postseason. They didn't. They finished nine and seven. Um, three weeks went by. John Gruden and Bruce Allen were both fired. It was a shock. I've told this story when I'm in Pittsburgh, getting ready to watch the AFC Championship game. Going to do a story on Mike Tomlin. Uh, it snowed like hell that day. I had a 16 hour trip to get there, um, and I'm sitting up in my ho- hotel room, and that's when. Adam Schefter, then working for the NFL Network, I just turned it on. Literally, I could not have been 
in my you know little fluffy bed there with the laptop on me getting ready to type up these Mike Tomlin quotes more than 10 minutes when Adam Schefter, breaking news out of Tampa, both John Gruden and Bruce Allen fired. And, I, and, and it was a, like, am I, am I dreaming? Is this some kind of a nightmare sequence that I'm experiencing right now? Because nobody saw it. And I've told the story where Gruden called his agent uh, and he told him, he called him out of the blue and he says, uh, hey, man, I just got fired down here. And the guy, and he hung up on him. He said, John, I'm busy because he had a thousand other clients he was working with. He called him back. No, I'm serious. I really did. And and so that began sort of like what just happened? Why did it happen? And what's next? And I spent, I never went to bed that night. I got caught a plane, the first one out the next morning, changed all my plans, obviously didn't do the AFC Championship game. And by morning, they had already had their coach and their GM. Their GM was Mark Dominic. Their head coach was Raheem Morris, who was going to be John Gruden's defensive coordinator. He had been promoted for the next season um, on Christmas Day as a Christmas present from John Gruden because things were going so bad with Monty Kiffin, who was planning to go to Tennessee with Lane, that he made right. He said, well, Raheem's going to be my defensive coordinator next year. Okay, fine. So that brings us up to the 08 season. Or the 09 season. But here's what you got to know. That before Raheem Morris took over, the reason, as much as anything, that the Bucks got rid of John Gruden wasn't because he wasn't a good coach. Hell, he had helped turn him around as Tony Dungy did. He had won a Super Bowl, for God's sakes. And he had been, I think he won the NFC South three times in the six years he was here. Um, they knew that John was going to continually want free agents. And the Glazers were in no mood to spend on free agents because because the collective bargaining agreement had a poison pill. It had expired. The poison pill was there would be no salary cap in terms of, uh, you know, a minimum that you had to spend on player costs. In other words, you could spend a dollar or you could spend $300 million. Now think about this. In the NFL, we had share revenues and you have to be um, – you know, you are you are basically agreed by collective bargaining to spend X amount percentage of total revenues, gross net total gross revenues on player costs, i.e., salaries. Imagine having a business like that, and then for a period of three years, all of a sudden you're like everybody else in America, where you can control the bottom line. In other words, your expenses are your expenses. If you want to spend. Tons of money on employees, and it affects your bottom line. Go for it. If you want to fire most of your employees or hire people at minimum wage, you can do that too. Okay. Well, let's think back. I'm I'm in I'm in Hawaii at the NFL owners meetings. This is this will tell you how long ago it was, Steve. They sent me to Hawaii to cover the NFL owners <laughs> meetings. <laughs> I sorry, Tampa Bay Times. I appreciate it. It was a hell of a trip. Thanks for doing it. I know it will never happen again. Um, but, the, but they had, they had a meeting over there in Hawaii and I was poolside with Bruce Allen, which is also somebody should have taken a picture of that. Um, and I remember Bruce Allen telling me, he goes, it's unbelievable. He goes, think about the ramifications of this. There could be three uncapped years where you could spend a dollar or 300. It's, 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 it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Well, you know what happened? What happened was everybody got fired including Derek Brooks, including Warwick Dunn, 
including Cato June, including anybody that was anybody that made any money at all with the Bucks team. And who did that? Their new GM, Mark Dominic. Within the first day or so of taking over that program, I'm driving, I think, to one buck, and, and I get a call from Dominic's like, hey, we're about to put out a release, but I want you to know in advance because I want to explain why we're doing this. And he told me who they were cutting, and I went, wait, you're cutting Derek Brooks? Like, you're just releasing him? Like, that's it? Like, is there a press conference or anything? No. He's just on a one-paragraph release. And at that time, they were trying to spin it. Well, we got this Cato, you know, or we got um, – you know, Gino Hayes, may he rest in peace. Um, and we really like Gino, and we want, you know, the guy gave him an opportunity to play, and Derek's, you know, been great, and he's Mr. Buck. He always will be. But Gino Hayes? We're clearing the path for Gino Hayes, who was like a fifth or sixth round pick. So none of this added up, except when you did add it up. What it was about back in 08, uh, going into 09, it was about the Glazers. It was about the ownership. And it was about Manchester United. They had made this big purchase of Manchester United. Uh, they had done something that teams in, in England don't do, which is they borrowed money to buy a soccer club. Um, those teams don't carry debt. And the Glazers had a lot of debt and a lot of debt retirement due. Um some $250 million that they had written about over there in England. And so it wasn't a stretch. Here were the Bucks, and they were going to have one of the lowest payrolls in the NFL because the revenues weren't changing. They were going to just bank more of it for themselves to help pay off another holdings of theirs, which was Manchester United. And... So what's the easiest thing to do? UBGM. Oh, and Raheem UB coach. He was one of the lowest paid coaches in the NFL. I think he made some $800,000 $800, a year, which at that time was not a, a, you know, the, anywhere near the top or the middle. Um, but he was grateful. He was 32 years old. He kept saying at the press conference, I'm one of 32. I'm one of 32. Um, was he ready to be a head coach? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But – was he put in a position where he had any chance to succeed? Absolutely not. No chance to succeed. And they did the best they could. And when I say that, I mean Dominic too. Like Mark had no money for free agents. And what he had to do is start taking chances on players. Character players. Bad character players. And he did. He did so. He made a trade for Kellen Winslow Jr., who I believe is in jail. Um, he drafted late in the middle round somewhere, I think probably third round, Mike Williams, who had a very checkered past, and as it would turn out, the future um, at Syracuse, and then later with the Bucks, He took on LeGarrette Blunt, who I give LeGarrette Blunt all the credit in the world. Once he left here, he had a hell of an NFL career. I think he won three Super Bowls and did very well, thank you for the Eagles and the Patriots. But at the time, he was the guy, if you remember in college, that you know, he played at Oregon and he and he, he punched another player. And so, the, you know, these were guys they were able to get because they all had 
checkered pass. But the team itself was going to be young. And why? We're going to go young. We're young. Remember, remember this, uh, Steve, from the press conference? We're young. We're hungry. We're youngry. <laughs> remember that? I mean, that, that was his whole, his whole speech at the press conference. And then they drafted a quarterback in the first round that year named Josh Freeman. And Freeman had been with Raheem Morris at Kansas State. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't ready to play. He was, nine, he was 19 years old, I think, when he got here. Maybe just turned 20. And their plan was not to play him as a rookie, and they didn't. I think, you know who the quarterback was? See if you get this trivia question right. Who was Raheem Morris's first quarterback? So it was before I was in town. Okay. Because I, well, I, 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 a... I got here before his second season as head coach, the 10 and Before 2010? Okay. Yeah. So in 09, his quarterback is somebody who is still, still here in Tampa. There's a great clue. Still here in Tampa. Quarterback. Works for the Bucks. How's that? You got to get it now. Works for the Bucks. What, what am I missing? Mm-hmm. Coaches for the Bucks. Coach, what am I missing? Offensive coordinator for the Bucks. Oh, it's Byron Leftwich. Byron Leftwich was their was the first quarterback for Raheem Morris. I didn't realize that. Byron Leftwich, yes, sir. Played a whole season here. I knew he played here. I guess I wasn't thinking it was under Raheem. They didn't last long because they had Josh Johnson. Mm-hmm. Who they had drafted late, and he yep. ended up playing. He ended up being the starter eventually, about halfway through the season. Byron simply couldn't get out of his own way. He had no mobility at that point. Not that he had a lot to begin with, and it was a bad football team. First year um, was was three and thirteen. It was horrible. Um, but they 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 their plan for Freeman was not to play him. We're not going to play him. We're we're not going to rush him into the lineup. Eventually, about week nine or ten, they did play him. And he did okay. I think they won maybe two of their last four games. I know he beat Green Bay at home in the Creamsicles, which was awesome because they did such a good job with the Creamsicles back then. Um, And that was one of his first games. The first game that Josh Freeman ever came into was in London against Lovey Smith's – no, against the New England Patriots, I believe it was. Or Lovey Smith's Bears. It was one of those two teams, whoever they played at that time over in in England. Mm. And – I remember uh, the story as the story goes, Dominic or Raheem got on the headset upstairs to Mark Dominic in in London and said, I'm going to put in Josh now just to make sure they were all on the same page. The problem, um, there were, you know, he obviously didn't play, play very well, but he did come back and win a couple games. Uh, and they went three and 13. It was a disaster, and it was, but it was intentional. It was like they weren't trying to win. They were trying to, to have a, one of the lowest payrolls. They're trying the to make money. There you go. Their focus was on winning. They were winning, but they weren't winning on the field. They were winning at the bank. At, at the bank. So, and and that you know who can who can fault him for wanting to be a head coach or accepting that job under those circumstances? Oh, by the way, they spent no money in the three years on free agents. I believe one of the only free agents they signed was a punter. I'm not making this up. Mm-hmm. They 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 would not sign free agents because. They cost money. So they didn't sign any free agents. So this is how the – and then the, the weird thing was, despite all this, despite having the LeGarrette Blunts and all these guys, they come in the next year and Josh is going to be a starter from week one. 
They go 10 and 6. They go 10 and 6. And in the final game uh, against the Saints, they, they had a chance to, to reach the playoffs. And 10 and 6 didn't make it. It was funny because at the start of the season, and this is carved into Raheem's uh, you know, memory, uh, at the start of the season, mm-hmm. he would have these little sayings, and he goes, Raheem, what, what's, what do you think about this year? What's your goals? He goes, it's a race to 10. It's a race to 10. You win 10 games in this league, you're in yep. the playoffs. It's a race to 10. <laughs> they won 10. And then he said, the famous quote was, I probably should have said it's a race to 11. <laughs> <laughs> so they missed the playoffs at 10. But they're 10 and 6. Yeah, they finished right? third in the NFC South, though. But third in the NFC South. And the South was was pretty good back then. I and mean, you remember Carolina was really good. Um, in fact, Carolina won the Super Bowl in 03, the year after the Bucks did, I believe. Or no, the Patriots won it. And then Carolina Carolina didn't win a Super Bowl, did they? No, they didn't. They were in the Super Bowl in 03. Um, at any rate, Carolina was good. I think Atlanta was pretty good. New Orleans was pretty good. And the Bucks finished third at 10-6. and six. Okay, they come back the next year. And they're still young, man. They're young as hell. And that was the problem. They never really had any veterans behind the young guys. Um, that was Raheem's problem. And there were a couple leaders on that team, but, but not many. And they, they start out the next year. So their tenants, well, first of all, they won two of their last four games, I think, or one out of the, one out of the last two or three uh, the year before. Then they go 10-6. and six. Then they start the next season. They're 4-2. and two. They got wins over Atlanta and New Orleans. They're 2-0 in the division. They're 4-2 and overall, and they're headed back to London. Only this time they decide, you know what? It was, didn't work out the last time we were there. We went for like four or five days. Let's go for a week. Let's go on Monday and stay a week and get used to the time zone. And they got this big resort hotel that had a pitch, a soccer pitch right on the grounds where they would practice. Um, bad idea. Bad idea. It, it took on the feel of a Pro Bowl. And they had a bunch of guys that were undisciplined, the Jeremy Truebloods and different guys and Mike Williamses, and they went out, you know. And, yeah, the head coach at 32, he liked to go out too a little bit. And we'll, we'll get into that later. But, um, but, there, but think about that. 10-6, and 4-2. and two. Just those two records, if you combine them, Right at at uh, what fourteen and eight. That's like one of to this day. That's one of the best twenty-two game stretches in franchise history. Just that block of games right there, ten and six, four and two. If you took any twenty-two games throughout the course of the Bucks' history, that would rank right at or near the top. And maybe pre Brady anyway, but but that would do it. So when they were in England. Ernest Graham got hurt, tore his Achilles. Devastating injury for the Bucs because he was such a leader. And LeGarrette Blunt also got hurt in that same game. They lost the linebacker, and they didn't have anyone to replace him. So the wheels came off. I mean, they came off. And they lost the last, last 10 games, I think, that season. I think they lost 10 in a row to finish the season. Came close to winning a few times. Blue one in Green Bay. Kellen Winslow Jr. dropped a two-point conversion. They would have won that game. Um, and Raheem Morris was fired. Now, what kind of chance did he really get? You know, and since then, 
he has done nothing but been successful as an assistant coach, coaching defensive backs. Um, you know, in Washington, he went with Shanahan. They went to the playoffs. Went to Atlanta, um, coached both defensive backs and then later receivers and was an assistant head coach. When the Falcons won the NFC title, I was on the field that day and went to the Super Bowl and, of course, had a 28-3 well, lead over Tom Brady in the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. They lost that game, mostly because of Shanahan as the offensive coordinator decisions he made. Um, and then, of course, you know, Raheem has bounced around and, and he was, you know, became the interim head coach and did a pretty good job for the Falcons. I thought he was going to get a job after that. He did not. He's been interviewed a bunch of times. And then last year, winds up with the Rams and back with McVay, who had been at Washington with him under the Shanahan tree. And he does what he does. So for a guy who has accomplished as much as he has as a position coach, as a coordinator, as a head coach, uh, it gets lost. And, and, And what strikes me is, you know, the same year, that Raheem Morris was hired. You know who else was hired? Josh McDaniels. And they're friends. And Josh McDaniels was hired as a head coach of the Denver Broncos. And he was fired. You know how many jobs Josh McDaniels, head coaching jobs he's been offered since then? Two. He was accepted and then you know was a runaway bride with the Indianapolis Colts a few years ago, as you recall, and went back to New England, got cold feet. They already hired some of his assistant coaches. But he was hired for that job. And then, of course, he just got the job with the um, Las Vegas Raiders. Raheem Morris is still out there. Now, how and much of that, and, and, and I agree with everything you've said, but how much of that is Josh McDaniels is an offensive coach and Raheem's a defensive coach? I think it's part of it. Yeah, I think it's part of it for sure. I mean, Todd Bowles didn't get jobs the last two years. Now he's the, the Buccaneers coach because Bruce Arians stepped aside. Right. You know, and he's got you know a track record being a head coach previously, right? Like those guys have. I mean, it's hard yep. to tell, but and and you know, I mean, Raheem's time in Tampa Bay was just. It's, I mean, the Buccaneers put Raheem in a position to fail, and to be honest, he was fairly successful while he was in a position to fail. I mean, to go ten and six, yeah, and start that was the next the season four and two. Listen. And not only that, I, I left out the best part, okay? Here's the best part, or the worst part for Raheem. One of the reasons they did so poorly that first year, in addition to not having any money for free agents or you know, gutting the team of all their veterans, there also was this. Mark Dominic decided he was going to take over the hiring of both coordinators. Raheem, who was a defensive coach, could have easily called his own plays as a defensive coordinator, okay? Um, and instead... You know, this is how it broke down. And he had Greg Olson, who is his quarterback's coach on that team, on that staff. Instead, they hired a guy named Jeff Jagosinski, who was the Boston College head coach. Um, they went through training camp, and Jagosinski, it became apparent, didn't call plays. He had an assistant who was a running back's coach who did call the plays for him at Boston College, who came with him to Tampa Bay. But they wanted Jagosinski to be the coordinator. They installed a zone-blocking scheme, which the Bucks had never done. And they got within 10 days of the opener. 10 days before the season opener. And they fired him. They fired him because he melted down. He had 
panic attack, whatever it was. I remember them going over to, to uh, Raymond James Stadium in one of these mock practices, you know, uh, kind of a game-like situation, a scrimmage, if you will. And they thought, well, we're going to put Jags up in the press box and see if that helps. It didn't help. It made it worse. And his, his playbook, you know, most NFL playbooks are voluminous. I mean, they have 250 pass plays. His was a pamphlet, okay? They fired him 10 days before the season opener and turned to Greg Olson and said, you take it. Well, it wasn't Greg Olson's offense. They had installed everything that was Jagosinski's. They couldn't change it in midstream. That was mistake number one. Mistake number two is they fired their defensive coordinator as well. Ten weeks into the season. He installed, while it was a 4-3, it was, and that, that was Jim Bates, by the way. Jim Bates had installed a 4-3, but it was, a, it was more of a two-gap 4-3. Um, the defensive backs had their backs to the quarterback. Imagine taking Ronnie Barber and saying, hey, go play trail technique on this guy and turn your back to the quarterback. It wasn't working, and it, it was not what they did, and, and they didn't have the personnel to do it. And they fired him, and Raheem took it over, and that's why they won a couple games down the stretch because he took over the defense. And then they had to, you know, go out and try to get some personnel that fit what Raheem wanted to do the next year, and that's why they went ten and six. So, imagine, you know, you start out and you're hamstrung that way. You're 32. They got all the players, no free agency. They're going to hire your coordinators for you. Both of them are fired in the first year because they were bad hires, and you had nothing to do with it. Put in a position to fail. Put in a position to fail, like nobody's business in my opinion. I've never, you know, those years were some of the hardest years to cover the team, and yet the 10-6 and six season, the 4-2 and two start, was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And we could do shows on Josh Freeman. We could do shows on, on LeCarrette Blunt and Aqib Tlaib and, you know, so many different things that occurred at that time. But the bottom line, and they had some talent, and some of those guys went on to have really great careers. Tlaib has a Hall of Fame career. But it, I think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, and I'll back that up one day. Um, but it, it was unfair. And, and all I'm saying is, yes, McDaniels is an offensive coordinator. Um, but, but a lot of Tom Brady's offensive coordinators have gotten head coaching jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, and not many of Josh Freeman's has. So, you know, there's that. I, I, I also believe that blackhead coaches don't get as many second chances as white ones do. I believe that. I think there's a bad record in terms of just hiring in general, but then also, you know, if you screw it up, I mean, look, if Bruce Arians doesn't retire or, or resign, if you will, and take a front office job, I don't know that Todd Bowles gets another head coaching job. I'm serious. He's interviewed every year since the Jets job, and, and you could do a show on them too, talk about a dysfunctional organization. But I don't know that Todd Bowles gets hired. I don't know. You know, he's interviewed plenty of places. No one seemed to want to hire him. He's certainly one of the best coaches in the National Football League on defense. And maybe that's because he coaches defense. Or maybe it's just because we don't have a great track record. And that's what McVay is talking about. It's a reflection of how far we have to go. Because Raheem, he's talking about, is one of the best coaches in the world. And the fact that he isn't a head coach is a crime. So that's my... Look, I could be his agent. I understand I'm putting a lot out there for Raheem Morris right now. 
I mean, I am. But what, what, what galls me is, is I don't think people understand what went on during the Bucks years with him. And listen, did he like, you know, did he get a reputation for going out at 32 years old and he was single? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Um, but as he would say, you know, he'd go to 717 to have dinner and Josh Freeman would show up. And Raheem would be, well, am I going to tell my quarterback he can't sit down and have dinner with me and a couple drinks? Then all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know the, the, the people start making accusations and, and, and so on and so forth. So, listen, he, he's, he's got three kids now. He's married. He's a different guy, obviously. Um, and I, I think he's going to be a head coach again. I hope he will be. Um, but I just thought it was interesting to, uh, to address that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right. Well, I know we were going to do a mailbag today, but we're going to push that back to tomorrow now. But okay. Michael had uh, tweeted <laughs> <I'm> us. Long-winded. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it's good, it's good history lesson or well that's listen i've got institutional knowledge and i'm going to spread it (laughs) okay what can i tell you and and i came tomorrow the great shiano years i came here in 2010 (laughs) which was in the middle of of you know his success yeah you know as he started i wasn't here for 09 when he was hired um you know but but through you through steve dumig through others yeah i knew a lot of this stuff but i don't know it all and, and and it's good to to remember that of if you're a Bucks fan right now, you you oh, won you the Super no Bowl idea. two years ago. You have no idea. You last <laughs> season you uh, you know almost you came back to tie it and, and thought you were going to go to overtime. Twenty nine wins in two seasons. Yeah. Twenty nine yeah. wins yeah. in two seasons. Tom Brady's coming back for a third season. Yeah, it's easy to forget how bad some of those years were. I'm mean, true Bucks Bay. fans don't forget, but. Yeah. For the casual well, ones, it's easy to remember how bad it was for many years here. And then after Raheem, it was what? Shiano. Well, yeah, the Shiano Well, it was years, supposed to be it was supposed to be Chip Kelly. It was Chip Kelly accepted the job one night and I wrote it and uh it was they were both at that time what I wrote was they were working towards finalizing a contract and that was the language that they were all comfortable with saying. The problem is, back in the day, it was literally the, the eve of, of college signing day um, and college football signing day. And as soon as the word got out, Oregon, which was a really good program at that time, they started getting negatively recruited by every Pac-12 team, every team in America, that, that Chip Kelly, who's leaving to go to the NFL, and why are you going to Oregon? So went to bed that night, um, Mark Dominic told me, hey, this isn't done yet. I think it will be done, but you never know with these things. Just keep in mind, you know, we, we're working towards a contract, but it isn't done yet. At 5 o'clock in the morning, I got a call uh, or text message, I can't remember which, from Dominic saying he pulled out. And, and, and for a guy who had lived the runaway bride routine, not once but twice with Bill Parcells, this was the third runaway bride. 
It kept happening. And that's how they ended up with Greg Schiano. Um, there's a whole story about that, too. But anyway, I digress. And he was like the anti-Raheem Morris coach. Yes, because, you know, you always get what you don't have, right? Like, mm-hmm. so Raheem Morris never had been a head coach, players coach, young, youngry, right, related to players. Um, and the team, because they had stuffed the roster full of undisciplined guys, right, the team was undisciplined. You know, you had, I, I mean, I, I remember Aqib Tlaib, you know, getting a, a penalty in the end zone for, you know, arguing with an official and, you, and getting into it in the tunnel with him afterwards. Like, there was all kinds of, you know, of, of behavioral issues with guys that had checkered backgrounds. And as a result, you know, it, it, it kind of reflected on, on Raheem. And, and so when they didn't have a disciplined football team, what, who do you hire? Let's bring in a disciplinarian. Let's bring in a guy who has been a head coach before. Let's bring in somebody out of the box, because the Glazers loved out of the box, who's from central casting, right? Like, if you were going to say, who's the junior high school phys ed teacher? That's Greg Schiano. Okay, like you know, like you seriously, our team was just he had the barrel chest, and you know we're gonna do this and fight, fight, fight. You know, like, and and it was a disaster. I mean, you know, you can do a whole show on college coaches trying to to um, make the transition to the NFL. It hasn't always worked, and it didn't work for Greg. God knows. Um, and again, he didn't have a very good roster. He was still he was picking up the remnants of Josh Freeman, what was left of him. Okay, and did not want Josh Freeman and, and told the Glazers that said, look, if, if I keep this quarterback, he's going to be the reason I get fired. And they were like, no, if you get rid of this quarterback, it's the reason you'll get fired. The fans will revolt. They really like him. You got to make it work. And it didn't work. And they were firing ice together. And so um, you had MRSA. Yet I mean, it, they did spend money on free agents, just on the wrong free agents. So that that was a whole nother. Uh, chapter but yeah the Raheem stuff if you don't know if you didn't live it you wouldn't have known you know what I mean you're right we're living in a fantasy world um, of Tom Brady right now in the Bucks, which has not been the norm to say the very least well picking backing off of Josh Freeman Michael had tweeted us this was I think last week but yeah uh, he said what really happened with Josh Freeman he was a superstar one year then missing commitments removed his captain what really happened there? Well, I don't – I can't speak for him. You know, it, I, I did a story, and you guys should read it, um, several years ago. All of a sudden, Josh Freeman popped up in a CFL camp in Vero Beach, Florida, at Dodgertown, of all places, where the Dodgers used to train and, you know, the greats over there. And – he was thirty. He was only thirty years old. He hadn't played, I think, in three or four years, football. Um, maybe, maybe it had been at, at least three years anyway. And I went over to camp, and I, I drove him back to the hotel, and he sounded sincere. And you know, the Canadian football league is a little different in terms of you know, sort of their offense and you know, tons of motion and different things that the rules that aren't the same in the NFL. Um, and he wound up, I don't even remember if he, if he, 
I think he just left. I think he left the camp eventually. I don't know that he was cut per se. They did have a lot of quarterbacks over there. But he by far had the best resume of whoever was working out. And it was for the it was for the Montreal Alouettes, I believe. Um but in any regard, you know, my impression of Freeman was he didn't love football. He didn't love it. And there are guys in the NFL right now that are playing that don't love football. I assure you, tons of them, their best, their favorite sport was basketball, and that's what they played, except for a year or two late in their careers. Um, and they became football players because six foot four guys can't, don't play the five position in basketball or strong forward. You're a point guard, right? Um, so, a lot of those guys, there's, there's a lot of guys that love sort of what the NFL brings them. They love being in the NFL. They don't necessarily love football. There are guys that still play. They don't love football, but they play. And they don't usually last very long, but they play. At quarterback, at that position, you have to love it, man. You have to love it, and you got to be a student of the game. And, you know, with Josh, there was a lot of external pressures, too. Um, he was very, very young when he got here. He, he played on bad teams right away. He was successful. I mean, one year, I think he had 25 touchdowns and six interceptions. You can't fake that. That was the 10 and 6 season. Um, so he had talent. He had ability. Wasn't the most accurate guy. Pretty, very strong arm. Well-liked. But kind of, a you know, in some ways, an introverted personality. But he had, as soon as he got here, here comes his brother. Here comes his sister. Parents are still, you know, living in the Midwest. He's responsible for his younger siblings, and he's still a kid. You know, he's still trying to find his way. As the quarterback of a National Football League team in a city like Tampa with lots of distractions, you know, on Howard Avenue, where he was every night, I just think he got lost. I think he lost himself as a football player. I don't, I don't, I don't think he loved the game. He loved soccer. That was his sport. He loved soccer, um, but he didn't. He wasn't a student of the game, and at the NFL level, to play that position, I think you have to be. So that's what I think happened to him. And and look, he got the wrong coach. You know, the the, the genius of coaching is that, you know, it's the old saying was, um, you know, Vince Lombardi. He treated everybody the same. He treated them all like dogs. Right? That's what they used to say. Uh, but the genius of coaching is that you don't treat them all the same. You treat them all fairly, right? You want mm-hmm. to be fair with all of them, but they're not the same. People are not the same. You have to push different bus- buses or buttons um, or buses, but buttons. My dad was one of the greatest amateur coaches I've ever witnessed, and he's a legend in baseball uh, in Pinellas County, an absolute legend. I'm not making that up. There's a field named after him. Look it up, Pete Stroud. The thing about my father was, he knew how to reach and communicate with everybody and he didn't do it the same. Some guys, you know, need a hug and some guys need a smack on the butt and you better know the difference because you're not going to get out of, out of everybody the same thing by treating them all the same way. Especially if you're one of the hard asses that, you know, Shiana was and, and I, I'm not faulting Greg. I think he tried the best he knew how, um, to, to help him. Um, 
you know, there was there was a situation where he needed Adderall. I had a prescription that he took something that what I mean, there was a lot of things going on with Josh Freeman at that time, including having to take care of, of his younger siblings at an age where he was still trying to figure out who he was. But the bottom line is, I don't think he loved the game. And I think that's probably what would do you in as a quarterback in this league. I, I think it's interesting sometimes to take a trip down misery lane, as they say, if you're a Bucks fan. But th- this came up, you know, with Raheem Morris, and I kind of jumped out there, and there was Twitter reaction. So, hey, it's our podcast, and that's what we decided well, to do with it today. It's okay to go down misery lane when things are going well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, you people, start to appreciate some things around here. This is the way it used to be. I carry this with me everywhere. That's the thing. Like, I carry with me those stories. In, in my head, in my soul, I live them, I breathe them. I remember when they tented the facility because there was MRSA. I'm not making this up. They tented the facility like they were killing termites. Okay? Um, and so, I, you know, I, I, it's fascinating to me when, when people um, that have come through, and there's a ton of them that have come through this organization, and they're in the news. And like I said, we were there, but we can't take for granted that you know the story. You know, just because I know it and Steve might know parts of it, um, you know, it's good to talk about it and kind of get it out there so that you understand when when Sean McVay says Raheem Morris not being a head coach is a crime, you go, what is he talking about? Well, this is what he's talking about. And so we got that perspective. Okay, tomorrow we're going to get to your mailbag questions. Um, you still have time to get them in if you want to. You can send us mailbag questions anytime, really, and do that on Twitter at SportsDayTV. You can reach me on Twitter at uh, NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. So we got uh, your e- email or your mailbag questions tomorrow, all answered 100% correctly or your money back. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.